Hello and welcome to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. I am your host, Rachel Bell, and my guest joining me on today's show is Kelly. My hope for this podcast is that together we will have an honest and real conversation about mental health and wellness and your life experiences. Please know that this is a safe space to share, listen, learn and evolve in our lives and break down the barriers in our minds together. I am not a health professional, but I am a good listener and someone with real lived experience in this area. If you need someone professional to speak to, however, please do see the show notes for more information. And please also note that this episode may contain content that could upset certain listeners. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me at bekindtoyourmindpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also check out all the inspirational content on Instagram at Be Kind to Your Mind Podcast. Alrighty, so on to today's episode. Uh, Kelly and I got to talking about her experiences with mental health and children as she is a primary school teacher and the areas in which she's hoping to uh, progress to in her career. She also had a chat to me about a newly diagnosed condition, um, a mood disorder that is all about cycles, uh, very similar to a bipolar but a lot less mild. And because it is new, it was really lovely to speak to her because she's only just at the beginning of learning about her diagnosis and how she can effectively manage it. And my hope with Kelly is that we can actually come back and revisit um, her story as she goes on and learns more about what's going on for her mental illness and how she's uh, been able to continue to manage that. So that will be really exciting when we can definitely follow up with her. Um, Kelly was a really inspirational woman to speak to. I had a lovely conversation with her and I hope you guys are going to enjoy it as much as what I did. Hello, Kelly, and welcome to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Hi. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. I'm um I'm talking to you all the way from Kent in the UK. Yes, so you are in the future. <laughs> it's already nighttime in Australia. You have seen what today brings for you. It's um yeah, still still bright and early for me. You are here to tell your story today to our listeners and share a little bit about um Kelly and 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 what your uh your goals are for your future and and how you're tracking with everything at the moment um i think for a little bit of background why don't you just tell us a little bit about like where you grew up your family dynamic that kind of thing okay so so background so i had um I had a brilliant childhood. So I've grown up in the Kent countryside. So for those of you that are in Australia, it's about an hour away from London. And I was really fortunate in that I had lots of cousins, all similar ages. So I was the eldest child, I was the eldest grandchild. And we used to go and have adventures in the fields. We used to go and play on old like combine harvesters. We, that old school generation of making, um, we have Guy Fawkes, which is to um, sort of remember the day that someone tried to blow the House of Parliament in England. And it's a big thing over here where, well, it used to be quite a big thing. We used to make a scarecrow and then we'd burn it at bonfire night and things like that. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, I've been really fortunate as well in that the goals I've set for myself and the things that I've wanted to do that I've been able to achieve. So I've been able to travel around the world. I've spent 
a few years in and out of Australia, but you keep kicking me out, unfortunately. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I need a visa. Um, have you been? Have you? <laughs> have you lived over here and worked, or? Yeah. So in oh, awesome. it was 2012. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, I came over to uh, Brisbane and I worked as an au pair. I've met some amazing people, um, many of which I'm still in contact with today. So and cool. I've been lucky enough to go back out and visit again. Um, and yeah, I got to do a bit of the travelling, did um, Northern Territory, went to Victoria, did Melbourne. Um, amazing. Ironically, I didn't do, I haven't done Sydney, which I feel like <laughs> it's the big one that everyone does. But yeah, that's the one thing I've not You're not done. missing much. So, I grew up in Sydney and, you know, it's, it is a tourist town. There is just a lot of backpackers. <laughs> but, <laughs> really, but... The way I see it is it's, it's another reason to come back and visit. So True, um, true. Yeah. Did you get, did you get the, uh, the UK lobster tan while you were here? It's oh a... yeah, like I burn. Yeah. Um, I went to <laughs> I want to say, is it South, South something in Brisbane? I'll quote it. It was only like eight years ago now. Um, South Bank, I mean, it would be. It's South, that was it, yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And I remember the first week I burnt, I'm going to put sun cream on, but I, I burnt horrendously. And then after that, <laughs> luckily, I, I, I was okay. But um, You've travelled a lot. Um, you said what what's been your favorite country you visited because I know I actually lived in the UK for a little while and one of the best things about living there is that you've got the world on your doorstep so cheap to fly around to so many of the European countries so what, what what's your favorite place right. I am going to say like I love Australia I've always been obsessed with it <laughs> um, so other than that then I really enjoyed um last summer I went to Rome that was amazing that was pretty cool like again it's on my you know bucket list i want to see the sistine chapel so i should probably know that i'm i'm a primary school teacher and um sort of you talk about these artists and we you know talk about rome and i'm thinking god i've never been there and to actually go and walk in the sistine chapel and to go and see some you know st peter's and all that it was just it was just incredible and i was really lucky in the whole time that i was there with a friend we kept joking oh, we're going to go and see the pope we're going to go and see the pope and we happened to be there during some some holy festival, and the Pope came out and spoke to us. Like, oh wow! Directly, but he spoke to like everybody, but yeah. he did come out. So that was a bit of a joke that he came to see us. He came to see us, so <laughs> that was pretty pretty awesome. Um, so you're a primary school teacher. How's that? <laughs> at the moment, it's a little bit strange. Yeah, um, COVID. Talk so, about what that's been like for you. Yeah. So I mean, here in the UK, we um as of monday we started to phase phase return so we've been off school since the it was the 20th of march that we closed our schools um and i think as teachers we were suddenly thrown into a way of uh, how do i deliver lessons over the internet how do i give them the right resources how do i still you know keep up the well-being um Mm. and for some and for many teachers they've also got their own family and their own children at home and I mean, I I wouldn't know how some of my, my colleagues, I don't know how you do it. I, I had to look after my nieces one day and I was like, I don't understand how this works. I'm meant to be online helping my class. I've got to look after two other ones. It's just, it was a very, very strange time, isn't it? So, yeah, very. I mean, we've been using um, sort of internet resources. Um, I think that's something that really exploded where um, 
anyone that could help deliver education and videos and activities sort mm-hmm. of on the internet that really did explode and that's been so helpful mm-hmm. um but then there are other challenges we're facing like to those children who um struggling with their mental health and actually don't want to come on and do their work or those that don't have a computer or those that do but there's four other brothers and sisters in their family and they've all got to do home learning and you know can we come into school to collect the packs it's it's been a bit all up in the air but I think you know as teachers that's what we're good at we're adaptable we're creative we can think on our feet and there are times that we've probably not got it right and there are lessons that I live on the internet and think oh I could have I could have redone that but you know just do do the best we can and our message has been you know be happy be safe first and if you can get any learning done that's a bonus (laughs) well that's really good it's interesting that you touched on um like the mental health barriers for for kids with um homeschooling i know um my sister has an autistic son and he has struggled a lot because trying to get him to engage, you know, with he has an aide at school normally and trying to get him to engage and she's got two other children and her and a partner are both working from home. So it was like, you know, two adults trying to work, three kids trying to homeschool, one with, with, um, with autism. And it's like, um, I think they're so ready for them to go back to school next week. It's crazy. But I can't even imagine from a teacher's perspective either how, either how hard that is to um, or how frustrating I was going to say to reach, like you can't reach out to, to those kids that need that bit of extra help. But, I mean, we have, we're so lucky now with technology and so we use a site called Purple Mash at school that the children were already luckily signed up to and we've learned like how much you can do on that so the programs we set up that we can set spellings i can upload a powerpoint for them to do and we've got a class blog so we can keep in contact so it's been we've been quite lucky in that sense so what we we did over here is if children had an ehcp plan educational health care plan or and some of our most vulnerable children schools were open for so um, I mean, the school I am, we were a hub. And so we had a few other schools, very limited, all again, socially distanced that would come to join us. But I mean, my, uh, our deputy head teacher, our head teacher and our office staff have been in every single day since the 20th wow. of March. The only exceptions have been um, sort of Easter Friday, Easter Monday and bank holiday. But other than that, they, you know, there's been no half term for them. There's been no Easter holiday for them. They are so dedicated. Um and also we've got parents who are key workers and we still need to have the school open for those children. We've still had the option for them to come into school and try and give them some structure. Okay, it's still very different to what it has been, but, you know, trying to do the best we can with it all. So, You told me that recently you were diagnosed with a, um, a mild mood disorder. Yeah. Now I'm going to let you tell everyone what it's called because I know I'll say it wrong and I've <laughs> full disclosure to the listeners. I've not heard of this one before and let me tell you, I will um, be very keen to learn a little bit more about it. But what was it called? <laughs> so I think I'm still learning how to pronounce it. Cyclothemia. Um, so I've always felt, and my family probably it was said in my early 20s, you're always up and down you're either one or the other and um for people that don't perhaps understand it you know just assume it's something like bipolar which is so cyclothemia if i'm saying it right which is very new diagnosis to me too it's it's kind of i suppose it's like the sister to it and if 
left untreated it has potential to develop into that from what I've read and I think the, the statistics around people that get it it's very very hard to diagnose it's very very small amount I think something like in America is like one in a hundred thousand people are diagnosed of it it's very wow. very low and I'm only just started to explore it with my my GP at the moment and they were very keen at first to keep saying to me so why isn't it bipolar why don't you think it's this um so we're sort of learning learning together a bit on that but my approach has always been that I feel that there's something more holistic and that there's something inside that I'm not dealing with mm -hmm. and my trigger has been stress so I've had a particularly stressful couple of years um, I work in a very stressful job and environment and I've not perhaps cared for myself in the right way I've misinterpreted what self-care means mm -hmm. and because of that I've neglected like the core authentic parts of myself and I think this is how it's sort of manifesting so, I mean, my initial worry is this sort of came out at the beginning of when we went into lockdown and speaking to my GP, she was saying, you know, you're very, um, what we call hypomanic. So, mm -hmm. whereas in traditional bipolar, you have um, high mania and then you have very low, severe depression, cyclothymia goes in, as it suggests, with cycles of it and it's not as extreme. So, it's rather than mania, it's hypomania. So, it's just basically... I remember being described once as being like an excited puppy so, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> and just uh, talking a lot quicker mm -hmm. um, more full of energy just sort of that I can do anything possible and again it's a fine line isn't it between people that are mild mood disorder or just natural energy levels um, mm -hmm. and then I'd find that would last for sort of like six to seven weeks or a, a term as we have here and then there'd come this horrendous crash and then I'd pick myself up again and then this horrendous crash and it had, I suddenly realised that over two and a half years that I'd gone through this cycle <laughs> too many times now wow. and I wanted to address it and ironically like I've always very been against medication I've always wanted to try and do things holistically and deal with that and I got to a point where I was like but I can't I can't do it on my own I think I want to try meds and I remember ever since the age of sort of like 16, 17, when I first went to my GP with depression, the first thing that I've always been offered is take antidepressants, take antidepressants. And I remember sort of saying then like 10, 12 years ago, now I want to look at this more holistically. And then here I am sort of 12 years down the line and then saying, I think I need help with meds. And they're going, can you try something more holistically? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they have, it, and, but that is amazing that GPs, um, you know, and our healthcare systems are starting to look at those approaches now. But I did see the irony in that at the beginning for years, I just <laughs> would not accept medication. And I was like, actually, my holistic approaches aren't working. I might need a bit of help. And they were like, no, have you tried this? <laughs> so I think, I think our minds and our, the way we're looking at mental health is shifting at the moment, which is amazing to see. Definitely. But I really think that um, interest, just on what you were saying with the holistic versus uh, medicinal, I think they can work hand in hand. And I think that's where a lot of people are going at the moment. So it's about supporting, um, you know, medicines with other things like meditation, mindfulness, um, maybe, you know, uh, essential oils, crystals, yoga like people are really and i think that's that self-care part that you were talking about earlier as well where we might 
um, miscommunicate with ourselves about what self-care really looks like. It, you know, mm. having a meditation where you're emptying your mind for a good solid five minutes and, or, you know, doing some yoga to stretch out. And I know you enjoy doing physical activity that's helped you with, um, with your barriers as well. How, how, how did you kind of end up getting into that and how, how has it helped you? Well, um, I mean, there's two things with the, the exercise. So I'm just going to quickly, while it's at the forefront, I think sometimes when it comes to exercise, my worry is that I've seen it being used incorrectly and 100% exercise does help you raise endorphins. It does help your mood, but it needs to be an expression of love for what your body can do, not hate. So when you're you know, feeling bad about yourself or because you've eaten a certain food you think oh you know i need to take care of myself i need to you know physically exercise if you're doing that to the point of exhaustion or to punish your body for something you've eaten or you're using it as a coping mechanism purely to take out you know stress or i have to you know box intensely for two hours a day or run like this that's when i say that line between self-care and you know holistic approach gets a little bit what's the correct the word i'm looking for it can be it's a bit blurry really yeah and I think you need to make sure that you you, you know 100% I do advocate physical health and exercise to help you but it needs to be as I say a celebration of what your body can do to help you relax not as a punishment and not feeling that it's what you have to do to get rid of the pain so I um I've always been really active I've been really lucky say from the age of probably about five my my dad was a judo coach so <laughs> i used to go to judo from the age of five i was encouraged to do gymnastics for a bit and um, i did roller skating dance um judo has always, always come throughout my life actually i've always been sort of doing that on and off and so i've always sort of trained and when i was maybe about 14 um i started to get really good and started to go into you know um county competitions and started to get noticed a bit more so i would get up at like six o'clock in the morning before school and go for a run and my dad has always had his own personal gym at the back of the garden and i remember him you know showing me how to train specific exercises for judo and weight training and it's it kind of has become a bit addictive and you know my parents are both into their running and to their kettlebells and yoga now so I've always grown up with really healthy and fit parents as fabulous role models and and my brother now actually in fact is a, is a PT and he has his own gym so I'm really lucky in the fact that I can you know go to my parents house and there's a private gym that he's built or go to my brother's one that he's built which is in my grandparents yard so I'm, I'm very spoiled in that in that sense and very aware so I've always grown up with the knowledge of how to train um, and judo at that level as well meant that the training I had to do was very specific for muscle groups and you know, how, you know, it was like fartlek training and progressive overload, how to build muscle and resistance and power type. So it sort of, it's in me, you know, I mean, I've, I've always been brought up with it. So, but as I was saying earlier, you know, they, I look back, there was a time in my life when I used it incorrectly and I would train as a punishment for what I'd eaten or I became obsessed with having to be, especially with judo, you you fight at a certain weight. And I became obsessed with having to say under 48 kilos. And I think sometimes I've used it 
in the wrong reasons. It's definitely helped my mood, but I think I've sometimes gone all in with the exercise to kind of mask the pain I'm feeling and to, as a form of self-harm, I think in some, some cases, you know, I'd make myself run up a hill too many times or, you know, try and squat a heavier weight, even though my knees were hurting. And it's taken that step back and realizing actually is the training helping me or am I using it as a form of self-harm? Wow. That's really powerful actually. And I don't think I've ever had anyone explain to me that kind of form of self-harm. It's, it's disguised, isn't it? So for me, it definitely fueled like some form of eating disorder. Um, because I'd remember, you know, eating a biscuit at school and then thinking, well, I've got to run up this hill three times to burn that off. And, you know, as I say, with like injuries, like you shouldn't, there's, there's healthy DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. You know, like when you've done a good workout, it's like, oh God, I've not used. <laughs> the difference between sort of healthy, healthy DOMS and like pushing your body to the limit where it's breaking and hurting. And if you're not fueling yourself with the right foods, if you're not recovering, and as I say, you're using exercise to punish yourself, that's just, just as harmful. Because um, you can sustain long-term injuries from that like and it's on the inside what's going on as well if you're not fueling your body with the right nutrients you know you're going to end up hurting your heart having a heart attack running all this time without properly recovering without eating so i think that's where we need to be careful with physical exercise that it can be a mask for some more serious problems and can lead on to other issues and that's why i say can be you know it's predominantly not but I think there is a small element of it that can be overlooked as, you know, being too unhealthy. And as I say, a form of, for me, it was definitely a, another form of self-harm. So once you recognised that in yourself, that that was something that you needed to, to slow down a bit, and maybe your cyclothemia was part of... <laughs> <laughs> I just Sorry. call it the up and downs of life. <laughs> um, maybe that was part of of that over exerting yourself because it could have been through a hyper period or a hyper part of the cycle for you. Oh, definitely. Definitely was. Um, and it is, it becomes a bit obsessive as well with certain things. And again, it's so easy to look at other people who are lifting weights and I want to be able to, you know, the ego, I know how to lift as much as she can. And then oh, but I want to look a certain way and yeah. And then you kind of get into this idea of, well, to be, you know, for my self-care and for me to be balanced I have to have so many elements in place so that I don't tip the scales and it's like I have to do this and I have to exercise and you you and I discussed a little earlier before the show that um you are really at the beginning of your journey with your mood disorder and the diet you're sort of in diagnosis stage really still because it's been what a couple of months yeah so it was sort of end of March beginning of April really so still learning about what um, ways that you can treat, manage um, holistically with medication, all sorts of things. And I think one of the great things that, um, or that I'm excited about now that we talked about earlier as well is that we, you know, we would love to follow you on this journey and have you back on the podcast like in a couple of months, six months, whatever, and see where you're at with this and learn alongside you with what you've been learning because... There's probably a lot of people listening right now that either are in the same position as you where they've just 
discovered that they have a mood disorder or a mental illness or a barrier. Um, or there might be people that are thinking, I think that's, I need to start this. So it's really nice for them to be able to have that connection um, with a story and, and, and maybe go along with it as well. So, uh, you know, thank you for that. And I think it will be really exciting to see how you go with it and learn how you go. But at the moment, I know you started a few things. You, you do take a holistic approach um, with treatments and things. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, what you've already started doing that's helped you? Yeah, so, I mean, as I said, one of my triggers um, was stress and it was, you know, part of the job and working with the children I'm going into and a bit of perfectionism and things like that. So having this, this time... Um, to sort of put these things into practice it's it's easier to do now I think the real test will be when I go when I go back to school how I manage it so I have been doing a lot of sort of first of all like listening to the right content and making sure that I'm fueling my brain with the the things that are going to help me grow so I've got really into a growth mindset and I'm wanting to learn I want to learn how how this mood disorder works how to get the best out of myself how the human brain's working so I think it'd be quite easy to just get addicted to scrolling on social media or binge watching a particular you know box after box set and there's nothing wrong with either of those and I definitely do them but it's it's when you're doing it to excess so I try and limit my time on social media I try and make sure that every day there is some form of learning whether it be listening to a podcast whether it be um at the moment I'm really into the Michael Jordan the last dance series on netflix and just watching his mindset and how he overcame struggles is, is really empowering yeah um so i think a bit of learnings first i'm trying to start my day more productively so you tend to say aren't you either like an early bird or a night owl and i've discovered and i think it's easier in the summer in england definitely i can't see me doing this in the <sighs> winter but um my most recent thing is i'm getting up and i do a bit of exercise affirmations um, and I've been watching the sunrise and that has just been Beautiful. just magical so the first thing I do when I get up is I just sort of remind myself of all the positive things I'm trying to do um, and I do something as simple as make my bed first of all or go and wash up a cup from last night because then I've started my day if I've already achieved something and it puts me in that mindset of being productive and it's quite interesting I was saying to my friend about this come the evening I am I'm shattered sometimes I don't want to wash up <laughs> my dinner from the night before and I think as a kid it was always like you've got to wash up after dinner and I'd be sitting there standing tired and not wanting to do it and getting irritable with myself so what I now do is I leave it in the evening and then again it's part of my routine I wake up I you know do some affirmations and I, I make my bed and I go and wash up from the night before and that starts me off with being productive it's starting my day right um routines are my jam I love talking about that so I often mention um I I, I work in in disability employment and one of the things I love to talk to my clients about is routine because sometimes they're just like I don't know what to, where to start I'm just stuck on the sofa or you know and if you can yeah. just have one routine once for a week like is in every day for a week if it's that you're going to make your bed before 10 30 in the morning you know whatever it is it doesn't matter you're going to brush your teeth by nine o'clock you just come up and have that that you have that one routine and if you can just stick to it for a week and then maybe 
the next week you might add on a second one and, and just build from that. But giving yourself a routine and, and, you know, like my job is to find people jobs to give them a purpose and a reason in the morning. So it's the same kind of thing. You're just giving yourself a purpose and a reason. Back over Christmas, I had a particularly bad episode of depression and I found it really hard to motivate. And so I came up with this thing called the non-negotiables. So I'd wake up every morning, have my cup of tea, get ready, and I'd sit down and make a list of things that were non-negotiable, things I had to do. And it might only be three or four things. And it was always on there, teach good lessons, um, mark this bit of work. And then I'd have the... So then my non-negotiables, then I'd have a list of things that I could do. So if I was feeling up for it, you could also mark two bits of work or you could sort out the front room today. But in the scheme of things, if my front room wasn't tidy, was it going to affect me majorly? No, it would be important. You know, it was important that I'm teaching good lessons. So I find just having that non-negotiable and having a few things to focus on, it gave me sort of more of a drive and purpose. And if I didn't get to my could lists, I still leave it there. I'd get to it maybe on the days where I'm worth feeling more productive. So if I'd had a particularly good run, I'm like, oh, I'm smashing it today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the could do list. I'm gonna sort out that front room. Um, so awesome. I found, you know, that 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 was one that really helped. And just saying the word non-negotiable because sometimes it can be hard when you're in a rut not to do anything. So by saying that to myself, I was putting myself in that mindset. No, you have to do these things but not making it a massive list of daunting, like three or four things and always put on your list, something you've already done, always put on there, (laughs) brush your teeth because then you start the day. As I said, it's another way, isn't it? Starting the day by ticking something off. Sometimes you've just got to start the routine to keep it going. So I'd say that's definitely, um, definitely a good one for me. Do you, um, do you do that thing where on your, like, I love the non-negotiable list. That's awesome. Um, Oh, I'm, I'm going to start trying that actually because it's a really good way to get through that daunting list of things you know that have to be done that you don't want to. Do you put anything on your list? Do you have a want list at all or do you reward yourself for doing the non-negotiables? Because I know when I was in a really bad place with depression and anxiety, I used to do that. I'd be like, if you put that washing on and hang it and you vacuum the floor, then you can have you know, uh, a half an hour of playing a video game or something. Did you, do you give yeah. yourself rewards as well? Yeah. And I'll put it at the end. <laughs> I, um, I mean, it's, it's easier for when, when I'm back in the routine, like going to, going to work at school all day, it's easier to do the, the thing at the end, isn't it? The, yeah. the reward. But I've got a friend who at the moment is saying, okay, if I do this, then I can go and have 10 minutes on my phone, then go away. So she's breaking her day up with her rewards throughout the day. And I think that's a really good, really good approach. Yeah. Um, I don't think I could get away with that actually at work. You know, I've taught, I've taught a really good English lesson now, kids. Miss Hobbs is just going to go and have 10 minutes time. I mean, you crack on with art on your own. <laughs> I can... If I did that, that 10 minutes on my phone had turned into, you know, an hour. <laughs> I couldn't do that. As I say, it's fun the routine for you. So it's quite tricky. Like the approaches I'm doing now, so I don't know whether they're going to work when I go back to work because it's going to be different. So I've been getting up earlier, um, watching the sunrise, doing my affirmation, think of my non-negotiable list, you know, taking 10 minutes to sit there and do a, a guided meditation. And then part of my route home happens to be via my brother's personal gym so I can sneak in there and do my workout. And then I come back and I just feel amazing. Cause I'm like, it's eight o'clock and I've been awake for so long. Um, 
But mm. that's not going to happen when I go back to work because I should have been at work by eight o'clock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my classroom needs to be ready by then. So it, it's going to be finding a new routine, which um, again, I don't know how that's going to work. So I'm doing this without the mood stabilizers at the moment. Um, and I said the reason I didn't want to go on them is because I have the time to be able to get up earlier and spend more time. I don't have to, you know, I'm still teaching, but I don't have the stress of having to deal with all the behavior then and there in the classroom. Um, you know, I can go and take, if it's, if I need to go and take 10 minutes, I can take 10 minutes away from mm -hmm. everyone without having to sort of think about too much about my responsibilities. Um, I can eat better because there are time there's the time to produce a nicer salad and there's the time to, you know, think about what I'm going to eat rather than sometimes you get back from a long day and you're tired and you know, the best thing you should have is, is like, you know, a salad or whatever. But when you, when you're knackered, sometimes I oh, just put some chips and fish in the oven or just grab yeah. a Macca's or something. And it's so easily done. Yeah. Um, and you know, the fast pace of life, that definitely fuels my sort of anxiety in that I have very high function anxiety and that my tends to be come out in the hypermania moments. And when I'm jumping around and trying to do this, this and this and getting all this energy, there is a big underlining anxiety with it. Mm. Um, and there's a feeling like I've also got to get it done. So, yeah. um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, how I can apply these routines when I'm back. Have you thought about what that's going to look like? Because work's back for you in a week, right? So have you thought of a plan yeah. or is that still on the to-do list? <laughs> that's probably actually something I need to think about. So obviously I know in terms of what I'm going to be doing with my children and how the day is going to look. But for me, I'm going to go in very much with a, a mental health approach. And actually these children have been off school for 10 weeks. I have year six, so they're going off to secondary school um, in September. So it's a tricky time for them anyway, because it's a, it's a transition. How I help them transition into a secondary school when they can't go and visit the secondary school. And it's, and I completely feel for them. They're the, the only cohort of year six that haven't got to do a big leavers production that didn't get the sports day that don't mm. get to do, you know, all the things that we, you know, the school trip, all the things we would have done in every other year six year group and they don't get to do that and there's going to be some resentment from those kids and mm. there's going to be a lot of anxiety and worry and it's going to be even more worrying you know trans you know transferring over to secondary school so i mean for me it's let's revisit key skills in maths english things that are going to need to take on um to build on for next year but also it's it i've got to get that mental health approach right and i'm doing a lot of work on on that at the moment of what's the best thing to give the children and how to approach it and i mean we're incredibly lucky at my school that we are now hiring a mental health practitioner to come in it's going to be amazing and oh, speaking to my head about it as well so yeah we're going to have a professional come in and lead this within the school so not only to show the children to work the children but to teach us as adults and as teachers and how to best implement it and then that's going to be backed up with them um, uh, like one of the mental health like like mental roles from one of the members in staff hopefully um so yeah it, it's quite an exciting time really that is so great i have to say like, yeah. really i love the way that um you know uh, how today we're really leaning into a lot more of, of mental care it just it, mental health care it gives me that um that great like joy of knowing that we've moved so 
so much further forward as far as mental health um, and illness and support goes. And it, it also means that those barriers that were, have been up for centuries are starting to really slowly break down. Um, it gives me hope for like, you know, your, your kids that you're teaching their, their future grandchildren either and what life will be like for them. But it's interesting. I wanted to go, you were talking about mental health and the kids or when they go back to school. Tell us a little bit about, you have a, a bit of a personal uh, venture that you're doing on the side of all of this as well, and that is tying in children's mental health. Um, you talk about a little bit on your uh, your Instagram page, which I will drop in the show notes for everyone, but it is the mental health teacher on Instagram, so at the mental health teacher. Yeah where everyone can go and um, check out uh, the little bits of inspiration that you're dropping there and have a, have a chat to you as well. But um, talk to us <laughs> a little bit more about that passion and what you're hoping to achieve in the future as far as um, kids and mental health goes for you. So with Year 6, we have, we have things called SATs in the UK, um, which basically is just to, just to see at the end of primary years in Key Stage 2 how well you have done as a school educating them mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of pressure on that and by the time you get to the older children I've noticed that I mean, we've got to get them through these tests and some of the well-being side drops um, in order to do that and I find that personally really conflicting and really hard and you can't be the well-being nurturing teacher that you can in the younger years and then still get them through these results and put them through all these exams it's, it's, it takes a special type of person I've learned to be a year six teacher I have FYI now ask my head please take me out of year six because it, it's I'm good at it and I can get the results but it's it's broken a part of my soul i think inside because it's not the approach that i believe in and that i want to deliver for children um so during this sort of time to where we've been off work i've always had um a passion and an interest with mental health due to my own journey and there are things that i've learned along the way where i think oh if i learned that in school or if i'd known that about myself or if i could have had the teacher that gave me these messages then maybe i wouldn't have grown up with this self-esteem issue and maybe this wouldn't have happened and i might have learned to make better choices or i would have known it's okay to come and speak to people um and so i, I kind of that's what i want to deliver in children i've always known that i want to go into either special educational needs or working with types of behaviours and I've always been drawn to those kids, they've always been drawn to me, I've always wanted to be able to help in some way and I think that's why I got into teaching. But I've always been a little bit confused along the way about where it's going to go and I've known for a long time that I'm, I'm not just going to be a classroom teacher, there's something specialist and there's going to be an avenue I'm going to go into and I've always di dipped into in my previous school and previous year groups mental health and well-being and in the early days it's either been shot down or it's not been carried on or it's not been a whole school approach or I've suddenly been put in year six and you know I haven't got time to do all of those well-being nurturing things that I need to do and I was just sitting at home and we have all these CPD certificates that we can start to do. So I had this list and I noticed that there wasn't too much about mental health and well-being. So I emailed back and sort of said, I found this course for free. Can I do, I'm actually really interested in this. Can I do it? And uh, they were really supportive. Like, yeah, anything's better than nothing. And I, I got really into it. And then I found the diploma, which I've now finished um, working on over the last few weeks. Oh, wow. And it just occurred to me one day and it was like, it literally just pops in my head, the mental health teacher this is it this is the perfect combination of 
using your teaching skills, wanting to help people, working with those, you know, behaviours and emotions and those, you know, those issues that children are facing. Because that's essentially what I love doing. It's the helping side as well to combine it all. So I've just thought now's the perfect time. And so I've been working a lot on myself because through obviously through teaching something, you have to kind of take it on yourself and do it to teach it. So it's helping my mental health, you know, amazingly. Um, I'm getting more of an understanding and it gives you more of a focus. And I, I feel like this is what I'm more aligned to do. And yeah, so I said, I went and spoke to, to my head about it and you know, he said this is perfect timing and that, you know, we're looking to employ someone to do this, Kelly, and we're going to have this and this, and it's going to come through the school. So it's kind of a really exciting time for me as well, just to sit back and go, right, this is what I want to do in my life, in my career. And to watch how other people are going to implement it in a school because it's so new to us. Mm. Um, and seeing what I can take on board. And if, again, if I, you know, coming out of year six, I can have another year group, then I can practice those ideas that I used to and I can put these little ideas in and make these resources and have these lessons and see the impact so I'm yeah I'm really excited about it all really so I'm trying to put together everything that I've learned as an adult um, and everything through my journey and how you would apply that to a child so at the moment I've been exploring the love languages um, which I think actually a lot of people have, have, have sort of heard of them and even if they haven't that's the first thing they get interested in what are they what's my love language and a few years ago when I first discovered this I had a very challenging class and I applied the love languages with them as a sense of connection and to try and work out what they need mm-hmm. and I just sort of put it on the board one day I said okay you when do you feel most happy at school is it when your teacher's telling you you're doing really well? So your words of affirmation. Is it when your teacher gives you like a high five or like a hug? So your physical touch. Is it when your teacher, you know, lets you have a treat from the goodie bag? So your gifts. Um, is it when you we have some one-on-one time and we have a little chat at the end of lesson? So your quality time. Um, or is it when your teacher does things for you? So helps you and goes and gets the pens and pencils and bits like that. So that's your acts of service. So I sort of put that out and I got the children to write them down. Um, obviously, they all loved it when they got treats from the gift bag. But <laughs> you sort of got more of an understanding of what what they needed. And it's quite obvious. The kids that have physical touch, you know, because they come up and hug you. Um, but also knowing which kids, because some kids don't like physical touch or a high five. Also learning which ones need that affirmation. So there are some children who as teachers I think we just assume they know that because they're doing really well um but they need to be told every day and they just need that little you know I'm really proud of you today and I'm really impressed with that or if someone's struggling actually if I know that their love language is acts of service all I know I know to do that maybe I just need to go and help them get some pencils or go and help them tidy their tray and quality time is quite an interesting one which children for their well-being just need to spend 10 minutes with me at lunchtime not talking about anything in particular, just a bit of bit of teacher and you know teacher and child time. So that's how it kind of all started a few years ago, and the impact I must say was incredible. Um, definitely made a difference, difference to more. And that's when I started thinking, okay, so how can I apply these things that I've learned as an adult, and which a lot of adults might be aware of, but how can we apply that to raise well-being and with our children? So that's kind of where I am at the moment. And the other one that I'm, I'm looking into was the, the change triangle. So 
I bought the book. It's not always depression. I think it's by Hilary Jacobs Hendel. I think I've said that right. And it talks about coming back to your authentic core self and dealing with those core emotions. So for me, I've always felt that my depression and up and down is something to do with the fact that I'm not feeling something that is a core emotion. So your core emotions like anger, sadness, joy, excitement. Um, and actually things like shame, guilt and anxiety are so they're blockages from your core emotion, basically. Oh, okay. And the theory looks at that you need to come down to your core emotions and fill them in order to get to that open hearted, authentic self. So she described it as like a triangle. So on one side, you've got your defenses. So that's anything you do to not feel the feelings. So as adults, it might be drinking and gambling or children. It might be things like acting out behavior, distracting others. And then on the other side of the triangle, you've got the anxiety mm -hmm. and guilt. Oh, they're blocks to your true emotion. Yeah. So if, if I give you an example of, of what I had as a child, so excitement. So if I was overly excited or too excited, the response from um, adult might be anger, calm down, you're going to break something, you're being too hyper. So the response was anger. So what the child learns to do with their core emotion of excitement is if I'm excited and I show that, it's going to produce anger from my caregiver. So you block it, which then causes the anxiety. So you're anxious because you know that you shouldn't be excited because that person's going to get angry at you and that you shouldn't be excited because it's, you're not allowed to feel that. And that's what is a form of anxiety is you're blocking the fact that actually you're just excited and you're probably better off letting the kid go and be excited for half an hour and truly express it. And then they move down the triangle. They haven't blocked it and they're feeling more authentic and they're open self because actually periods of excitement unless you know, you're not suffering from mania or anything, a uh, medical condition, children don't stay excited forever. Um, and if you're constantly blocking that core emotion from them and telling them that they can't be angry or you shouldn't be sad, then they're going to block it in unhealthy ways, which are your defences, which are then going to turn into feeling shame and guilt and anxiety. And we're not born with those emotions. They are not hardwired. Excitement, anger, sadness, they are hardwired in our brains. We are born with them. They serve a purpose to let us know what is going on around us. It's to help us alert to danger. It's to keep us for survival. It's to tell us what's going on. We are not born with guilt, with shame, with anxiety. Those are emotions that we have learned to block how we're really feeling. Um, and so I sort of want to educate people around it more because it's helping me tremendously going through that expressing my emotions which as you said earlier is probably one of the ways i'm coping at the moment is i'm having i'm giving myself that time to feel what it is when i'm feeling anxious and i sit back you're sad you're sad because of this and having a cry and um, so i think it's really important that we're not sort of stopping children feeling their core emotions that we're telling them it's you know it's okay to feel like that working through it and the other day i had an example and it was horrendous and i did not like it but all in all, it probably lasted half an hour, 45 minutes. And afterwards, I felt so much better just for feeling that sadness, just for having that cry. And then I got on with the rest of my day. I had a similar experience not too long ago. I think we were, um, you know, in the middle of COVID and I was getting to that point where I just thought, oh, I can't do this. I can't stay at home another moment longer, you know. And um, I just, yeah, I just had that really down time. But you're right. I wrote it out. 
And then I went and had a nice shower and washed my hair and did a face mask and, you know, like just went, okay, I can still bring this day around, you know, like it doesn't have to stay shitty all day just because I'm locked inside. (laughs) But um, it is important to feel that. I think that's a part of self-acceptance as well, isn't it? So being able to, um, and, and there's a therapy called ACT therapy actually, which is a lot, it's acceptance um, therapy and it's like accepting the the uh, the mood or the situation or whatever it might be and actually being okay with it so sit with it and being like yep mm. that's okay rather than always trying to be on the defense of it and I love the I love when you said about you know letting kids basically just have that feeling whatever it is for a short period of time and it comes back to that thing that I think we're taught a lot um, you know, to that everything's good in in small doses, right? Like nothing's really bad for us as long as it's not long, long, mm-hmm. ongoing and long term. So, <clears throat> if a child wants to express a feeling, maybe just let them do it for a little while. Because you're right, it'll end yeah. eventually, won't it? So, and obviously protecting them. Like if they're if they're angry, I always say to my class, you know, it's okay to feel angry. And mm-hmm. I let you know. And also, we know as adults, when you're angry and people are telling you to calm down. No, I don't want to calm down. I want to be angry. Yeah. Um, so, so to let them have the moment, and as long as they're not hurting themselves or anyone else, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if it got to that point, obviously I didn't. Um, but just tell them, you know, it's okay to feel angry. Let them. What are you angry about? Let them feel angry. Let them express it without interrupting. And then, then I go to okay. Do you know what I do? When I'm angry. I breathe in and I blow out as hard as I can. And they do that a few times, spit in my face, but accidentally because they're going, (laughs) (laughs) and then we laugh because they've just blown loads of phlegm in their teacher's face. And then you've moved sort of down that triangle. So at no point we've gone, no, that's not okay. You can't be angry. Calm down. To tell him it's okay and then have that okay so here's a technique that we could try have you tried breathing have you tried like jumping on the spot have you done your count to 10 have you clenched your fists i think we're too quick to jump in with children and okay you're angry right come with me come and do this because first of all they're still in the moment of anger you're not going to get anything out of them secondly you're squashing it it's not okay to feel angry as soon as i feel angry i've got to go and do this you're blocking that and that's where you're getting the defences from. And mm. also, you think, why, why, why am I breathing? Like, what's it's not serving me a purpose? You're telling me to do something, mm. and it gets lost. Whereas, if you then, ex- you know, let them go through the emotion, it, you know, talk about it, feel it, then discuss. Okay, some ways that we could help to now calm it. So, as we feel it, calm it down. And this, then they've got an understanding. Whereas, I see it so often of okay, you're angry, right? Come with me, just count to 10. And the kids get more worked up. They're not ready to count to 10 yet. They just need to feel angry for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it comes back to that. I love that movie. Um, I think it's called Inside Out and about the emotions, joy, sadness. So I need to watch that. How bad is that? For some oh, yeah. that they oh. love <laughs> working with children. I need to watch that film. <laughs> you will love it. I mean, I've watched it so many times, like, with my niece and nephew without them. <laughs> I, I I love that story. I think it's definitely got something for adults and children, like just because it's a cartoon or an animation, it's not, you know, it's definitely for adults as well. And the biggest, you know, I cried in it for sure because the biggest thing I think that you realise when something's put in front of you like that is that you can't be happy without being sad. And a lot of people don't yeah. understand that. And I, I think until you grasp that, theory for real like really feel that 
inside of you, you'll just continue walking around being like, why does that happen to me? Why does, you know, why do I always feel sad or depressed? Or why is it always me that bad things happen to? We forget to think about the positive as well. And, you know, life is truly like that magnet. I think you've got to have the the bad and the good, you know, the pull and the push. Yeah, and the yin, I mean, I don't know if you can see, so I wear the yin-yang necklace. Oh, the yin-yang, there you go. Um, I'm, yeah, very into that. And one of the things, you know, I wanted to squash it to begin with. And as I said, I I didn't realise that the, the hyper moments are sometimes just as damaging. And then when I calm, you know, when I'm just pretty point out, I'm quite calm at the moment, actually. I'm, I'm in a good, I'm in a good level state from everything I'm doing. Um, but, you know, one of my friends said to me, would you take, take out your highs so you didn't get the lows? And pff, I felt that. And I don't think I would. I don't think it would, it, it wouldn't be me for a start. I mean, what I'd like to do is lessen the, <laughs> lessen the lows and lessen the highs to try and get to a more middle ground. But yeah, you're right. And as powerful and as exciting as much as I can achieve when I'm up there, I can only do that because I've been down there. Do you mm. know what I mean? So it's it's trying to accept both in me and sort of I've always rejected the depression. So as soon as I've, you know, had depression, okay, I've cured it now, I've gotten over it. And then there's always this sense that I've really failed when it comes back again because it's like, oh, I didn't beat it, I didn't beat it. And this mm. time round. I'm learning to accept that I am going to get depressed again. I will have depression. Um, it's part of who I am. If I can alleviate some of the symptoms with it, which I, you know, saying for me, I believe comes back into a more, some more deeper work in feeling my core emotions. It's very, and I talked to, I've, I have spoken about this with cycles on my Instagram before, sorry, not with cycles with um, seasons, which is kind of cycles as well. But the seasons yeah. are very, very detrimental to mood disorders. And I can't imagine living in the UK when it is really winter for three quarters of the year. That is, you know, I know you guys, <laughs> yeah. when I, when I lived there is when I learned about SAD, you know, seasonal affective disorder. It is really a huge thing in the UK. And some people laugh about it here in Australia because it's more hot, you know, often than not. And also SAD, haha, that's so funny like <laughs> but it is uh for a lot like for britain it's a it's a big deal for you guys and it is arriving to work in the dark and going home in the dark it, it's literally only daylight for less than you know eight hours in in winter and living like that is can be very very detrimental to 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 even people without a mood disorder like let's be honest um so yeah i think so knowing your environment accepting that these things are going to happen and you start to learn to be able to appreciate what's going to happen to you like you know mm. it's um you'll start to appreciate the lows as well as the highs because in the lows is when you get to uh recuperate where you get yeah. to you know breathe basically and although you might feel a lot of sadness at that time your body's also going through a repair mm -hmm. mode so it's really important and that's why people with mood disorders have that. Well, not why, but I, I feel like it's one of the, the reasons why there is the high and lows. Because again, like I said before, you can't have sadness without joy. You can't have hyper without depression. Yeah. And you need to balance that out, you know, so that you can get a rest. Because imagine if you were just hyper 24-7 for the rest of your life. How exhausting. Oh, my God. It would be a nightmare for everyone. Sometimes yeah. I do my own head in. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I do my body like 
You'd burn yourself out 100%. Kelly, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. I have loved every second of it. The, your whole dynamic of like uh, mental health and well-being and children I just think is beautiful and I think a lot of people will really enjoy this episode who have kids and to, to know that there are, you know, schools and teachers like yourself out there that are really championing something that's going to, you know, change and evolve their children's lives. I think it, it's really lovely because you are with them for 12 years and, you know, most of the day and it's like we, you know, our teachers are the ones who are forming our children. So to hear that there's teachers like you out there who are looking at a complete holistic approach to learning, that it's not just maths and English, you know, I think that's lovely. So, you know, congratulations. Oh, well done. Like it's, thank you. I can't wait to see where this goes for you and with the, the, the health coach, uh, no, the mental health teacher, I should say, <laughs> the mental health teacher. <laughs> and I really do hope you stay in touch with us and come back you know, in the future. So. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And see how I go when I'm back at school, whether I manage yeah. to maintain my calm or wherever it goes. It will probably go up. It always goes up when I first start <laughs> school again because it's, it's so exciting. Um, but, yeah, just recognising that they need, you know, a happy teacher, not a perfect one, not a hyper one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Kelly. Again, I, I really do appreciate your time. It's been, it's been an absolute joy and I, I hope to speak to you soon. No, thank you. I'm going to go and live out the day because you've okay. obviously seen how this works. Um, yeah. I'm going to go and, and enjoy the rest of ours. So I hope you sleep well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Alrighty, so next up we've got mental health moments with Gareth. <laughs> Another little chat with my partner Gareth and uh, today's subject was about relationships. We were actually having a conversation and I think I was being a little bit annoying <laughs> and I just hit record. We happened to be sitting at my recording desk so uh, this is what happened. Hey darling, how, yes. are, how are you? I'm, I'm fair to reasonable. <laughs> I, I decided to press record mid-conversation because, um, you know, sometimes there's gold in our random conversations. We end up chatting about something that I think, oh, I wish we could share that with everyone. Occasionally. Yeah, yeah sometimes. It does, it does happen. But you were just saying to me that you're feeling drained and I feel like that was my... Um, my doing no, and, no no and it led me it wait give me a second it led me to a topic that i thought we should talk about oh, okay. which is partners and how they affect your mental wellness well uh, let's know, be honest a good partner okay. can be supportive and helpful yep. and and yeah and i, and I definitely have that in, <laughs> in you thank you i Tip. definitely have that in you but um, not everyone does and you no, haven't in the past. No, so I haven't. No, yeah. no. My my previous relationships were um, very, very, very different to my current relationship with you. Mm -hmm. You have um, <clears throat> you have changed my my mental sphere permanently. Haberdashery. Yes. <laughs> No, but you have. You, you've, you've, you've helped me to look look inside and be more introspective. And I've always enjoyed being introspective and playing with my own mind and 
being in touch with what's going on for myself probably a little too much <laughs> i'm sure there's people out there that can relate to that though i was going to say that is definitely something that's very unique to you a lot of people use self-talk as a negative thing but you actually use it as a positive thing which yeah. i've always found really intriguing about you um and i've tried to do it myself because i am very um not good at i don't want to say i'm good at it but i do a lot of self negative talk i just pretend the left and right brain between the corpus close and they're two different people and one's <laughs> one's this guy and one's that guy yeah you do know. they have names um no i haven't, <laughs> I haven't assigned names as yet um but i do i do feel like i do feel like sometimes you know i know if people are really struggling with their mental health you can make flippant comments like oh it's all about what you think and how, how you perceive the world and what you input into your mind and your thoughts and mm -hmm. whatever now look i believe in that because i've worked on it for 20 years sure but it's not for everyone it, it doesn't not everyone can has the capability some people are just too sick yeah or or unable to harness that as an energy that can help them heal yeah you know so i think i've been very lucky in having the right guidance at a young age actually from my father who is very introspective and very um in tune with himself what he likes dislikes you know his preferences his mm -hmm. opinions and so even then i guess we're talking <clears throat> about in talking about relationships it's not only your personal relationships with your partner but also with your um carers or your parents or you know it might be the nurses at hospital or it might be your social worker but having that um you know can having difference of opinions sometimes can cause some issues especially if you're not well uh, mentally and you're having a hard time and then having someone tell you you have to go to this appointment or you have to do that um, but I think you would agree with me that it's really important that you maintain that level of um, uh, what am I trying to say like you still go to your appointments when you have them and things even when you're not feeling like it and respect your carer or your partner who's trying to um guide you and help you and support you rather than pushing back because i think that's probably where a lot of tension comes in personally for me in past relationships that was definitely where tensions were yeah. lying because yeah. maybe i was trying to encourage that person to be well and they didn't want to be yeah i think some people aren't really aware that they have a relationship with themselves mm -hmm. and that's you know you can't it, it's hard to introduce someone who's not so introspective to the concept of self-talk mm -hmm. or the fact that what you think about is ultimately actually up to you but that's really that's a big one yeah now that's controversial because i'm not saying that everyone can go out and heal themselves and not have mental illness by Agreed. improving their self-talk because that's just simple cornflake box you know psychology yeah that's yeah. really simple stuff but it has worked for me i mm. mean it it, it it is something that took me many many years to work on and learn about and it has improved my life dramatically but again you know 
not everyone is able to do that. Mm. So I wouldn't go around saying, oh, if you just get in touch with your own internal dialogue or monologue, depending on what's going on. Your relationships you, will be better with yourself will be great and others. And your yeah. mental illness will go away. No. No. But it, mm. but it, but it has it has helped me live my life in a more meaningful manner. Well, you know what? We just continue to do our best to support each other, you and I. And I, I think if everyone just is a little bit more mindful about themselves and their partners and relationships with throughout mental illness would be a lot easier. Yeah. Thanks, darling. Okay, well, that wraps up episode two of Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. And I want to thank my guest, Kelly, again for joining me today. I hope that you all got some great tips from her. And um, for those of you who are wondering, my use of the word haberdashery with my chat with Gareth is a word that we like to use with each other when one of us uses a big fancy word. (laughs) My friends, thank you so much again for listening. I hope you were able to gain some insight feel more comfortable with your barriers as we aim to normalize mental health in our world if you'd like to be on our show please email me or go to the instagram page and fill out the form on the link in guest application if you like the show please give me a five-star rating so that we can spread the word further and don't forget to tell your friends and family all about the podcast the more people who hear our stories the more equality we can gain if you are struggling today i see you keep going because tomorrow is a brand new day. Until next time, my friends, take care and don't forget to be kind to your mind.